0: All Rise, the Ashley Murphy murder trial with Frank Graney, a News Talk original podcast.
1: A woman in her 20s has died following an assault in County Offaly. The incident happened along the canal bank at Capincur in Tullamore at around four o'clock this afternoon. Breaking news the arrest made on suspicion of murder of Ashley Murphy, the schoolteacher.
0: Josef Puska of Linali Grove, Mukla County Offaly appeared before a special sitting of Tullamore District Court last night. On the afternoon of the 12th of January last year, Ashley Murphy, a 23-year-old school teacher, was killed along the banks of the Grand Canal in Tullamore.
1: Josef Puska, a Slovakian man who was living at Linali Grove in Mukla, County Offaly at the time, is on trial for her murder. He has pleaded not guilty.
0: I'm Frank Graney, Courts Correspondent for News Talk,
1: And I'm Ashley Moore, Radio Producer.
0: I'll be in the Central Criminal Court for every minute of the Ashley Murphy murder trial.
1: And every evening we'll bring you a factual, accurate and balanced account of what the jury hears on any given day.
0: And only what the jury hears. It's their job to decide on the facts of this case, and they'll do so based only on the evidence presented to them at trial.
1: This is All Rise, the Ashling Murphy murder trial. Welcome to Episode 9, The Interpreter. So today, Frank, the jurors heard forensic evidence in relation to a number of items that were sent to the lab at the Garda headquarters for analysis. They included a Navy Zara raincoat, a pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses and a Falcon Storm mountain bike. A witness also gave evidence about an ID parade that took place the day after Ashling's murder. And the interpreter who translated Josef Pushka's confession from a hospital bed in Dublin also took the stand to tell the jury what he recalled of that conversation. But before all of that, Frank, I believe the podcast got a mention during today's hearing.
0: It did, yes. This was um, during Michael Bowman's cross-examination of the interpreter. And as you can imagine, as a court reporter, hearing your name being mentioned by a defence barrister in open court during a live trial it rarely ends well. But on this occasion, <laughs> uh, Mr. Bowman was simply asking the witness if he had been following the case in the media and he said that he wasn't. And Mr. Bowman then followed up by asking not even Mr. Graney's podcast, to which he also answered in the negative. And do you know what? I know we've said this before, but it might be a timely point to just remind listeners that there are some people who should not be listening to this podcast or any other media coverage of this case, for that matter, especially the jury. Because while this is a comprehensive account of what happens in court each and every day, we'd never be able to cover word for word the four hours or so of evidence that are heard by the jury in court day to day. And that's all that matters. This is a fair, balanced and impartial account of proceedings. But as we say at the top of every episode, the jury will decide this case based only on the evidence presented to them at trial. And they have already been warned uh, to block everything else out, uh, not to look at the uh, media coverage, uh, not to do their own investigations in relation to the case and not to talk about the case with anybody else apart from themselves.
1: Okay, so moving on then to the evidence of this interpreter. His services were required on the day Josef Pushka was admitted to St. James's Hospital, mm-hmm. but today's line of questioning focused on conversations he translated between Mr. Pushka and Gardi on the 14th of January last year, two days after he's alleged to have murdered Ashling Murphy.
0: That's right. And this interpreter's name is Miroslav Sedlacek. Uh, He speaks German or he interprets uh, in German uh, the Slovak language and the Czech language. He has been an interpreter for almost four years. He lives in Ireland, we heard. And um, he spoke about um, the first phone call um, that he was involved in uh, on the 14th of January last year. This took place at 21 minutes past 12 in the afternoon. It lasted for 44 uh, minutes. Uh, Josef Pushka at this point was in St. James's Hospital being treated for um, apparent stab wounds uh, to his stomach area. And during this first phone call, Yosef uh, Pushka was talking about an attack in Blanchardstown that he claimed um, happened to him um, on the same day, as it turns out, that Ashling Murphy was murdered in Tullamore. And he spoke about how he got from Tullamore uh, to that location uh, in Dublin He was asked to describe how he got there from from Tullamore. He also talked about the attack. He said, again, through the services of this interpreter, he told the Gardaí that somebody gave him a lift to Dublin. Uh, He said he was going to meet a girl there. He said she might be Hungarian, but he didn't know her particularly well. Um, He said that he got a taxi to Blanchardstown, left the car, crossed the street and walked not too far away where he said that he was attacked by two guys. Uh, He described them as being of dark skin couldn't remember any um, other details, couldn't describe them exactly for the Gardaí. Uh, He described their height as being roughly the same as his own. Uh, He said one of them knocked him down, the other uh, stabbed him in the abdominal area. Uh, They took all of his things, including his phone, and he said that girl's details were on that phone, and he said that he didn't know them by heart, he said the guard that asked him about the exact location of the attack, he couldn't remember that. He had some details in relation to an apartment complex that was nearby in some fields, but he couldn't remember the exact location. And after the attack, he said that he had suffered bad injuries uh, while on the ground. He said that he could hardly move, but that he somehow managed to get a taxi. Um, he said that his condition was quite severe. The prosecuting barrister Anne-Marie Lawler, who was taking him to through his um, direct evidence, then asked the interpreter if he remembered a conversation about a bicycle taking place during that phone call again in the afternoon. And he said that he did, that the guard had asked him uh, where he left it. He was asked for a description of it. He described the colour of the bicycle. Um, Ms Lawler asked him, was Josef Pushka speaking freely? And he said that he was, he was speaking freely and that also sometimes he was talking quickly. So he had to stop him at times to be able to translate what he was saying for the the
1: So that was the first call that day. And as you say, his services were required again later that evening at about 20 past six. Mm -hmm. This one lasted 23 minutes. And this is the conversation during which Mr Pushka made the admission that we spoke about yesterday.
0: Yes, we heard evidence from um, various members of the Garda the investigation team about conversations they had with Mr. Pushka again while he was an inpatient at St. James's Hospital, and the interpreter said that um, during the course of this conversation again later in the evening, as you say, that the search warrant that was executed at the hospital that evening was explained to Mr. Pushka. Uh, he was told that it related to his personal belongings that they had to be seized as part of a criminal investigation. Mr. Pushka, he said, I wanted to know why. That was explained to him by the Garda and the investigation, he was told, was in relation to an incident in Tullamore. And the interpreter said that the Garda actually specified that it was a murder that they were investigating in Tullamore. He said the Garda also asked Yosef if he had any information whatsoever about this incident in Tullamore and that Yosef replied that he did know something from the Internet, but not too much. At this point, the interpreter said that Yosef wanted to know if he was a suspect. Uh, Mr. Sedlacek said uh, the guard explained that he wasn't a suspect, but that he was a person of interest. And he said that Yosef uh, didn't know what that meant. So that was explained to him by the guard And after it had been explained, he said Yosef, then asked him personally uh, again. He was on loudspeaker on the phone, and he said that he asked him personally to translate his confession. He described it as quite spontaneous. He said everything came quickly, and he said that Mister Pushka uh, wanted him to tell uh, him he wanted him to tell the guardy that he did it and that he killed her, but also that he didn't do it intentionally. Uh, I didn't want to do it, and that I'm I'm very sorry uh, that it that I did it that it happened. So that's what he wanted the uh, interpreter to translate to him. He did that. He told the Gardaí what Mr. Pushka had said. Um, He said the Gardaí then cautioned Mr. Pushka and that Yosef uh, understood what that meant. Then he said in his evidence today that Yosef wanted to ask the Gardaí some questions. He was very concerned about the safety of of his family. And he asked if there was any possibility that the girl's family would like to take any revenge on his own family for what he did And the interpreter said that his voice changed significantly during that conversation in the evening. He said it was very different to the earlier conversation in the afternoon and that after he made that confession, he described him as quite emotional. He said that his voice was trembling. Uh, His sentences were already disjointed, he said. And he said he supposed it was as a result of the situation that he was in. He described him as being in very low spirits, um, even desperate, uh, he thought, after that confession. And he said that Mr Pushka wanted to know what would happen to his family once he made that confession. That the guard explained to him that there wouldn't be any problem or dispute between the two families, that her family would certainly not take revenge on his. And towards the end of the conversation then, he said that the guard that told him uh, that Yosef wasn't feeling very well, so they ended the call at that point. And before they did, he said that Yosef asked what happens next, and the guard told him that when he recovers fully, uh, he would be brought to Tullamore Garda Station to be interviewed.
1: Mr. Bowman then cross-examined the witness who had made a statement about that admission the following day and certain passages of that statement were put to him this
0: afternoon. That's right. And in this statement, um, he said the police were interrogating Mr. Pushka and Mr. Bowman asked if that was the case, to which he replied, that's what I said in my statement the following day. Yes. The prosecuting barrister, Ms. Lawler, also asked him later about his use of the word interrogate in a statement. And he said that he meant interview. The positive sense of the word was how he described it. Um, Mr. Bowman, again under cross-examination, also asked him if the warrant had been read out in full to Mr. Pushka in that uh, hospital room. And he said that he didn't remember exactly, but figured just a summary of the warrant was given to him. But he said he might be wrong about that. And again, in his statement, the jury heard Mr. Sedlacek uh, also said that the guardy asked Mr. Pushka if he could tell him anything about the murder. And he told Mr. Bowman today that he was asked that before he made his statement. And in relation to the caution given to Mr. Pushka, he said he he remembered it uh, being given, but that no, he had no particular recollection of Mr. Pushka being reminded of that caution at a later stage.
1: So then after the interpreter had stepped down from the witness box, the prosecution then called some forensic evidence. Dr. Kim Connick is a fingerprints expert with Forensic Science Ireland and she was asked to examine three items, a navy Zara raincoat, a pair of Ray-Ban sunglasses with a gold frame and a Falcon Storm mountain bike. Mm -hmm. She didn't find any marks on the jacket or the sunglasses, but she was able to develop a fingerprint from the bike.
0: Yeah, and um, she her description of the bike, she said that it was um, it had a dark grey frame with bright green forks and handlebars and she said she noticed the grips were missing from it when she retrieved it from storage and she described the underside of its frame as muddy and rusted in places. She said she used fingerprint powder and a brush to dust the bike down for prints. And she said that when she did that, she found a mark on the underside of the saddle uh, towards the back of it. She said that she had to remove the saddle to get at it, that she took a photograph of it and she then sent it on for further analysis. And in relation to the location of this mark, she said that it wasn't unusual uh, to find one there because people generally lift the bike uh, from that point.
1: Dr. Connick took a photo of the mark and sent her findings to a fingerprints expert in the forensic lab, and he was asked to compare it to prints taken from Josef Pushka.
0: That's right. And he too gave evidence today. This is a Detective Sergeant Damien Carroll. He is attached to the Garda Technical Bureau. Um, he is a fingerprints expert, as you say, 22 years experience in the identification of persons by fingerprints and palms. And he said that on the 18th of January last year, he received two sets of prints. Uh, they had been taken from Yosef Pushka told Amargar the station. Um, he said that he requested a second set because the first set was incomplete in the area that he needed. the The second set, he said, had more detail, more characteristics. Um, He produced an enlarged photograph of the fingerprint mark taken um, alongside an impression made by Josef Pushka's right ring finger that was shown to the jury today. He also gave the jury a crash course in how he compares prints. And I must say it was very interesting listening to that evidence this afternoon. He spoke about how pressure within the womb causes the skin to deviate and develop unique ridges um, from between 10 and 24 weeks. And he said that everybody has a unique random pattern of these Ridges. Each finger, he said, is uniquely different, and even twins have different fingerprints. He said, Computers can do so much when it comes to this comparison analysis, but he said that for the purpose of identification, they do it manually with a microscope. And he then pointed to 12 numbers dotted along the enlarged photo, and he said that having examined those, he was in no doubt that the fingerprint mark found on the underside of the saddle of that Falcon Storm mountain bike was made by the right ring finger of Yosef Pushka.
1: The jurors then heard from another forensic scientist, this time an expert in DNA analysis. His name is John Hode. He's retired now, but in January of last year, he also worked at Forensic Science Ireland and he had done so for over 30 years. He examined some swabs taken from the bike's handlebars.
0: Yes, and uh, he spoke about DNA profiles and um, of making comparisons between profiles. He said there are 32 elements in a profile and that if they all match they can say that it's a match a full profile he said is when all 32 elements are present and in this case he said there was um, a full profile Uh, the judge interjected at this point he said it's not quite correct to say it is unique and he said that other than identical twins DNA is unique and he was asked if he'd ever found two profiles to match in cases where they're not twins. And he said, no, not in Ireland. Um, he gave evidence of swabbing two ends of the handlebars on that bike and the gear changing mechanism, um, dry and wet swabs, he said. And he said that he gained sufficient DNA material to develop a full profile. He compared it with two other developed DNA profiles from Mr. Pushka, a blood sample that was taken from St. James's hospital when that a search warrant was executed. And what was described as the regular DNA reference sample taken from him after he was arrested. Again, that was the 18th of January uh, last year. So we had two profiles to work from, um, uh, Mr. Pushka's blood sample, that DNA reference sample, and also the profile developed from the handlebars of the bike. He said that he compared all three and he said that all three samples matched each other and that the chance of it being from somebody else was over one in a billion.
1: Finally, then the jury was also told about an ID parade that took place the day after Ashling's murder.
0: That's right. Um, the jury has already heard about an ID parade that took place on the thirteenth of uh, January last year, and this evidence today was given by uh, Detective Sergeant William Delaney uh, from Portleash uh, Garda Station. Um, this ID parade was done on the back of um, a description given by Jenna Stack, uh, a witness who was already. Uh, given giving evidence, giving evidence to this trial, um, ID parades are not an informal thing. They're not ad hoc. They have to follow strict procedures. And we heard there was a person who was already mentioned um, during this trial, and, and there's no need to mention his name again, save to say that it is not Josef Pushka, but that this person had a solicitor present. He was um, attending this ID parade. Um, there were nine people, including him. So, there was himself, this person, and eight foils who all matched the general description provided to the guardy by Janet Stack. And the jury heard that, you know, in cases where an ID parade is arranged, that if a person's solicitor has any concerns, they can flag that they're not happy to proceed. Um, a lot of people are brought in. They pick the most suitable. And we heard that Ms Stack um, identified this person, suspect number six, and Detective Sergeant Willie Delaney said that she was told to only pick somebody um, if she had a high degree of of certainty. She he was re-examined by that that was that evidence was all given under cross examination, and he was then re-examined by the prosecuting barrister so just in relation to conducting these ID parades. And he was asked, you know, um, you do the best you can to get people who resemble each other, and it's not an exact science. And he agreed. Um, he agreed with that. And. And then at that point, um, profiles of of those people who ended up in in that parade um, were handed to the jury. There was one copy of them, and they were asked to just go through them and flick through them. That took some time because, you know, there were a number of, of profiles and only one copy distributed amongst the the jurors. And they were told that they weren't they weren't the people that were called for that ID parade were not all ethnically similar. Um, some were Irish. Uh, we heard. And the jury shown of the um, the jury was also shown a photograph of the man uh, selected by uh, Jenna Stack. And the court wrapped up for the day and is likely to hear more forensic evidence uh, when it resumes tomorrow.
1: That's it for episode nine of All Rise: the Ashling Murphy murder trial. The jurors will hear from more witnesses when they return to court tomorrow.
0: I'm Frank Graney, courts correspondent for News Talk. I'll be in court every day. You can follow me on x at Frank Graney for updates. And make sure you follow this podcast, All Rise, The Ashley Murphy Murder Trial, for an impartial and comprehensive account of what happens in court on any given day. All Rise, The Ashley Murphy Murder Trial, was hosted by Frank Graney and Ashley Moore, with sound design by Lachlan Hart. Follow the podcast on NewsTalk.com on the news talk app powered by go loud or wherever you get your podcasts